Welcome to the DJE Podcast, where you will learn about real estate investing from real life examples. Here's your host, Devin Elder. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Today, we've got Seth Teagle on as our guest. Uh, and Seth and I had a great conversation. He's a really down-to-earth guy. He's a firefighter, and this is the classic story I like to hear. He read some books, got into some podcasts, got into real estate, found somebody to partner with on a 50-unit apartment complex, and did the work, or did the hard work, learned a bunch of lessons. That deal was a home run for him. And he's since gone on to do a lot more multifamily projects with the Streams Group, of which he's a principal. So you're going to get it all in this podcast, right? Kind of Seth's backstory, how he got into the business, his trials and tribulations, getting that first deal done, which is often very difficult for us that are in the business. That first one's tough. The next one can be exponentially easier many times. But uh, we discuss all that up to uh, you know what they're doing now, what kind of what kind of projects they're buying now, systems, processes. They're vertically integrated, so he talks about how they do that. They're up in Ohio. We dive into a market uh, kind of overview, thirty thousand foot overview on the Ohio market, and that was really cool for me to learn some about because I didn't know much about it before this podcast. So I think you're going to enjoy it. We're going to jump in with Seth. Before we do, I just wanted to share, as always, if you are listening to this, thank you, first of all, appreciate it, as always. Um, if you're not on our on the DJE investor list and you want to see the projects that we're coming out with, multifamily and land and, and uh, investment projects for your review, you can get signed up at djetexas.com. You can schedule some time with our team. We can share case studies, all that fun stuff. Secondly, if you want to be like Seth and go out and do your own deals, we've created apartmenteducators.com for that. This is an entire ecosystem, mentorship, uh, plug you in with the team, the knowledge, the curriculum, and everything to go out and get these deals done. And our students are closing big deals, 10, 20, $25 million projects uh, not long after joining the program. Now, it's, you know, it's not miracle fairy dust, but this is a repeatable business model that we can teach and plug people in with the right partners to go make these big deals happen. So that's what we do at apartmenteducators.com. Check it out for a free video series that I teach and you can get there for free at apartmenteducators.com. All right, those are the ads. Let's jump into the episode with Seth. Here we go. Seth, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. How are you? Doing good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Let's get in a little bit on um, before we get into all the real estate stuff. And we we're talking before the show about, uh, you know, which attorneys we're using and projects and things like that. But we'll get to all that before we do. How about the, uh, you know, the, the kind of backstory for Seth and kind of the greatest hits leading up to to real estate, you know, where'd you grow up? What'd you do before real estate? And what, what did your life look like? And then I always like to dig in on what was there a pivot point for you that got you into this business? So I, I'd love to yeah. love for you to dig in on that. Yeah, it sounds great. So I uh, grew up in Minot, North Dakota, which is pretty much the middle of nowhere, south of, <laughs> our south of Canada. Uh, some people know Minot for there being a large Air Force base there. But if you're not in the military or have military family, you probably have no idea where that's at. Um, Grew up there, graduated, uh, wanted to get away from the freezing Arctic cold. So I moved to Florida. Uh, I had a friend of mine that lived down there and I went and lived with him for a while in the Panhandle area. So kind of Fort Walton Beach, Destin, Pensacola area. Um, 
was down there, did a little bit of college, went to the fire service, uh, became a mm-hmm. fireman and paramedic down there. I've been doing that 21 years now. And um, through that journey, uh, I got into real estate. Uh, my first exposure to real estate was pretty much a guy that I knew back when I was starting in the fire service. He was kind of trying to figure out what he wanted to do. And he went uh, and got his real estate license. And then him and I kind of lost uh, touch with each other. And then I found him, I would say probably 2015. I, I kind of reconnected with him through social media and whatnot. It was kind of like Facebook and all those things were had kind of taken off at that point in time. And we reconnected and I found out he was this big real estate investor that was doing phenomenal. Um, and it just really blew my mind. And, and like, how did this guy, you know, here I am working my 24 hours, having two days off, doing my kind of like regular job. How does this guy go from who I knew to what he is now? He had a pretty big, he did and does have a pretty big following. Hmm. Um, and so that really, that kind of really has kind of started my journey of what does this really look like, you know, outside of HGTV and all these, these house flipping shows that you see, like, what does it really look like? And right. I, I reached out to him and was, um, and was interested in kind of finding out what I could do. And so he sent me an MP3, an email with an MP3 attached on a week long house flipping course that he does uh, with his group. And that was really my first exposure to like, how does somebody actually get into this? What does private money mean? What is hard money lending? What is, what's the process of flipping a house and how do you, um, you know, systematize it? And that was really the first time I had ever heard of, you know, scaling and systematizing what you're doing in order to get bigger. Uh, so I, that kind of got me on the path of consuming tons of content and reading and podcasts and YouTube and anything that I could find that was kind of pushing me in that direction. And I think it was probably 2016, maybe like 2015, where I met a contractor that was flipping houses. And he was like the first person I knew that was actually real life, close by, you know, arm's length, doing real estate investing or flipping. And um, so I kind of reached out to him and asked if we could go grab a, you know, like the old, can I get you a coffee or buy you dinner or lunch, you know, thing that I get now from people. Um, yep. But he was, he was nice enough to oblige me and we went to dinner and, and, um, I, that's how I found out about bigger pockets and, you know, various different things. Uh, but during that conversation, I found out, I kind of listened, uh, to what he was saying and I heard some of his pain points, which were lack of project coordination, um, and material coordination and then property management. You know, those were things that he was struggling with. And at that point in time, I'd had 15 years in the fire service and managed crews and you know, just been around construction and, um, building material, you know, all the whole, that whole side of things. And so I felt pretty confident that I could run, um, some of his projects and offer to basically work for free, uh, to get on the job training. Cause that's, that's how I learned it best is doing it, you know, instead of reading about it all the time. hundred percent. But you'd also studied a bunch at this point, right? Yeah. So that was really, like, I, I felt like I had a solid background, um, kind of like book wise, but I had never really, uh, put anything to, you know, anything to practice yet so i thought what better way to do it with than with somebody else's money and them bearing all the risk i could kind of get my hands dirty and see what it was really all about so i love it yeah there's no substitute for experience and there's no substitute for getting in there and doing it um we get that question a lot too at our firm hey can i can i shadow you can i work for free it's you kind of have to catch somebody at the right time right because at this point it's like well 
our organization, we have a team, we have employees. We can't mm -hmm. just like throw somebody in there into the mix. It's going to jam everything up. But somebody that's had success and is growing, you might catch them at that right time. How did this person receive that? Right? Were were they were they anxious for some free help? Was it a burden for them? How did that well, work? He was he was actually thankful for it because I think he recognized yeah. the value that I could bring. You know, awesome. he had tried to hire a couple other people and. Um, you know, just they kept falling through the cracks or they weren't showing up or they were, you know, he would, he believed that they were doing a good job. Then he would go to do his follow-up and it was like a, it was a mess. Yep. So, you know, we had, like I said, it took a little, I mean, it wasn't like overnight that he just brought me on to do, to do it. But, you know, we kind of got to know each other more and realize, you know, our kids go to school together. It just, it, it just worked. And uh, I think having a, a solid career that, you know, he knows I'm like not doing drugs. I'm not, you know, going to not show up. I'm, you know, I have responsibilities and sure. And, you know, I was a person he could kind of count on. Um, and that was the, you know, like I said, that was kind of like my first step towards uh, getting into real estate and kind of getting my feet wet. Uh, did that for a year. So I managed his two, I managed two projects for him in that course. Uh, and then I did, I started managing his portfolio of rentals. Uh, he had, I mean, a small 20, I think 20 units, some couple single families, a couple duplexes, a four unit, you know, that equaled about 20 to 20, 20, 20 to 22 units. Uh, and that was where I got my feet wet too. And like managing stuff, as far as understanding the whole process of leasing and eviction and posting your three-day notice and all the operation side of things. And what type of properties were those when you first jumped into it? So what he had was, like I said, single family, some small multi was really all he had. Mm -hmm. um, he had a couple of commercial spaces. It was kind of like mixed use. It had um, like four or five apartments on the top. And then it had like the post office on the bottom. You have some pretty stable, um, you know, tenants in, in those uh, corner stores. Mm -hmm. And then like I said, above was, was, uh, was uh, apartments. So that was, that was my start. And then after I did that for a year, I kind of felt like I was ready to go. And I had learned through that process that, in order for me to scale and grow and at the, you know, at the time I never thought I'd be big enough to where I could leave my career. So sure. I thought, what, what's the best thing I could do? Well, large multifamily was it. So I went straight into, I, I didn't, I never flipped the house or did single family on my own dime. I went straight to multifamily and good for you. Yeah. It's been rocking ever since. You can do it. You know, I, I did the opposite. I banged my head against the wall for many years, flipped hundreds of houses Made some money, you know, you know, enough money to get into multifamily, but uh, did it for too long. But I get it. You know, people, uh, it's hard to just go conceptually listen to podcasts, read books to go buy a 150 unit like that. That's too much of a, of a gap. But you really had this like an, uh, uh, kind of apprenticeship period that I think's really smart. And you were you were full time with the fire department during that period. Is that right? Yeah. And I still am. If you, can you still it. are. Okay. Yeah. Great. Great. Yeah. Well, like I said, yeah. the, the, the one thing that's helped me to this point is having a great team. You know, it's forced yes. me to hire the right people to be around me or partner, uh, not like not partners in equity partners, but just partner in, if I need a construction person partnering with the right construction company or construction group to right. do the work at this point, you know, like making sure that I'm in the room with the right people, you know, it's 100%. forced me to do that. And it's forced me to, to you know, to, give some things away that maybe otherwise I would have tried to take on myself and, and hold on to. Which is very tempting. And it's, uh, it's, it's really not the way to grow, you know, to try to hold all the responsibilities. It's, it's hard to give away, it's hard to give responsibilities away and assure quality and stuff like that. I've seen, it's interesting, you know, I coach some people in multifamily and have walked people through some deals and I find 
that uh, I got started in this business because I could do a lot of things. I could raise capital, I could sell, I could design websites. So I did all that for my company to begin with, but I've seen some people that I've coached for the business that don't have those skills. Well, they just plug in a vendor and get a great result and they move on. And I go, ah, oh, that was, that was easier. You know, I mean, yeah. I, I, I obsessed over my website for years, you know, it's like, I just pay somebody, buy, you know, yeah. buy a template website, throw it up and off you go. Uh, you know, so that's a hundred percent. The right move is to, is to find, the uh, vendors, partners, whoever to plug your, your weaknesses and your gaps. And uh, all that matters is the result, right? Right. That's all you're after. Yep. Yep. For sure. And that was, you know, that was the, the first deal that I bought was a 50 unit. Um, and I renovated that one and, and, you know, I knew I could do that one just from my previous life experience and my sure, knowledge sure. of construction and, and the ability one for me to be able to do the work. I think, starting off, you know, I wouldn't advise everybody to go out and buy a huge project like that on your own, right? I was me and one other investor who was pretty much, he was, he was, for the most part, he was passive. He came up and did some work there and did some of the renovation work there. But, you know, that first deal I got into, I, you know, I didn't know what I didn't know. If I could look back at it now, I would highly advise somebody to partner with somebody who's actively already operating. So that way you don't, like I did, you don't, you, you know, I learned a lot from a guy flipping houses. I didn't have to lose any money. In the same token, I try to tell other guys that want to get in like, hey, you know, if you find a deal, let's do it together. You're going to give up equity to me, but you're going to be able to skip a ton of steps and, and you know, uh, mistakes that maybe I've made or I've learned from other people that they've made uh, that I can help guide you. So that way it is a successful project, because as you know, getting into the bigger stuff, the bigger projects, it's not 10 or $20,000 you might lose. It's it could be 500,000 or a million, or, you know, I mean, it could be, it could derail the whole project and kind of, it's really hard on the bigger ones to, once you kind of start going down that path or that downward spiral of pulling them back to, to playing again and, and getting them kind of going in the right direction. Yeah. hundred percent. So 50 units, that's nothing to sneeze at for kind of your first deal out of the gate. How did you guys split up the responsibilities and, and equity on that project? Was it just a 50, 50 partnership or was it a little more nuanced? Yeah, no, it was, we just basically went 50, 50. I mean, I knew that, um, so I took all the, I took all the stuff that I had learned over the years. And then, like I said, my year of kind of apprenticeship and I put together a resume and kind of, um, you know, this is why you should invest with me. And I went to a, a gentleman that I knew that was a, he had some single families. He had, he had equity and some other rentals that he'd had for years. And I was like, look, you know, I've got my money. I know you've got equity in these properties we can really get bigger if you'll pull your equity out and put it in with me and we'll go buy something, the biggest thing that we can find. Yep. Uh, and we, we went to like a tertiary market of Columbus, uh, found a, the 50 unit, bought it. Um, and I knew going into it, that it, this was like a, it's kind of like the, they, Michael Blanc talks about the law of the first deal and, and other people, you know, talk about that, but I was like, whatever I have to do to get the deal done. Uh, so we, I used third-party management to lease and to kind of take care of the property on that end. But then I managed all the construction, was down there every day that I wasn't the firehouse. I, I started off doing a lot of the work myself with two or three contractors, realized that wasn't going to work. Um, and then sure. I just mainly kind of oversaw, you know, I went through a couple of different people trying to have them be project managers that were local and, you know, it worked for a while and then they'd kind of flake out on me. And so I just realized that, you know, every day basically I have to be down there making sure that things are getting done. But it really allowed me to dial in my systems and processes and kind of a format for, you know, what do we, if we buy a place, you know, here's the, here's the list of things that we look at in a, in an apartment that we're going to maybe turn. 
And then how do we do that? What's the order? What's the right way to do it? And how do right. we, you know, and then again, we did, I try to always say like, if you go into one of my units, you've been into all of them because we try to love it, use all the same flooring, all the same paint, all the same vanities, you know, and the only thing that changes that is maybe the bathroom size, you know, instead of a 30 inch vanity, we have to go to 24, but it's, you know, we make those adjustments kind of on the fly, but overall, you know, we've created something where it's very scalable, very repeatable. Um, and then that just speeds our process up quite a bit. I always marvel at the size of these projects uh, is one thing, 50 units, 100 units, whatever it is. But the simplicity of them is interesting. I mean, flipping a house, you've got, maybe you're taking out walls, maybe you're pulling permits, maybe you got historic design review, depending on what market or area you're in. Um, a lot of nuances there. Maybe you're yeah. doing a foundation. The apartment stuff, I mean, gosh, some of our projects, we might be, we might be renovating a hundred units, but they're all like 800 square feet, vinyl plank flooring, two-tone paint, you know, maybe some cabinet poles, maybe some new cabinet faces, things like that. But like very simple rehabs, even though the volume's high, the complexity level is relatively low, which is kind of a, kind of a paradox and kind of interesting versus say flipping houses. Yeah. Yeah. I would almost say that the, the skill is not even like, like you said, doing the work, you can, even if you took somebody that didn't know what they were doing, you could train them after two or three units to understand the process. But for me, I feel like the, 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 the plan of, if you take over a place, at least in my experience, we'll take over a place. We'll have, you know, there, there might be two or three, four or five vacant units, depending on, you know, what you're getting into. And then there's usually always an influx of people leaving right after we take over. I don't think there's very few that I've bought unless they're pretty stable. You know, if we buy something stabilized already and it's more of a management play, you don't really see that because they're used to uh, the structured management experience. But if we buy something that's a little more C-class, maybe it's a little more risky or upfront, heavier lift, but the reward could be a lot more. You know, um, we found where, you know, we might buy it with three vacant units, but by the end of the first month, we have 15 you know, or we have a, a, a lot of people move out because they're like, oh man, the, the gig's up, you know, we're, we're going to have to pay rent on time now. We can't just pay $200 <laughs> here, $200 there, you know, they're all right. like these pet fee, you know, it's real management company. So people will just leave in the middle of the night. And so I think for one of the skills that you, it, it, it once you master it, it, it like you, you expect it, but on your very first deal and what caused me a lot of uh, concern on my first deal was I didn't know that. So mm-hmm. we bought the property with only having three units vacant. And by like the third week we had 18. Yeah. And it was like, what do you do now? You know, if you've got a small crew of five guys, they can't turn 18 units in a timely manner, you know? We, right. And, the, and and so just the, the planning, the business plan of like how many units are we going to open up and, you know, we have 18 vacant, but we're only going to work in three, get those three done, go to another three, or you bring in another crew and working on the leasing and trying to, under, you know, like, uh, just that whole process to me is probably harder than doing the work is because once you get guys that you can trust that understand what you're doing, uh, you know, and they buy in the turns can be pretty quick. They, um, they are. Yeah. hundred percent. The the work is not that incredibly difficult on the interior of the units, but it's getting the guys there and keeping the whole thing moving along. A lot of moving pieces too. You know, if you're trying to coordinate, move outs and a takeover and a rebrand and, and all this other stuff. Um, on that 50 unit, Seth, what kind of financing did you guys get? Was it a stabilized property? It sounds like if you had 18 vacants, it, it wasn't stabilized yeah, no for long, but yeah, 
What no, kind of debt did you? Yeah. So it was not stabilized. So a lot, a lot of, like I said, a lot of things I didn't know. I didn't know then. Um, sure. I put, we, we bought a prop, we bought it. I, I could see the value add in it. Um, we bought it. We had a ton of vacancy. I did not have enough capital to the side because like I said, we had enough money to basically buy the property. And I think I had about $50,000 in the bank and that was it. And I thought again, oh, this will be enough. We'll turn some units. We'll just slowly do this. And I wasn't ready for this complete this mass exodus of people and so then I was I was on the scramble to try to raise some private money from people that I knew to kind of fund the rehab because again not knowing what I didn't know I didn't have the experience to understand what bridge lending was I didn't have I didn't have the contacts because it's not like bridge lender quality you know true bridge lenders that are um reputable they're not advertising like on you know billboards in your city yeah, uh, and Wells a lot Fargo of them, you got to have, yeah, you got to, you got to have experience, net worth, liquidity, all these things that I didn't realize then. Um, and I went to, I went to like four community banks, and they all looked at the properties. The property looked good. Uh, I looked good as far as a resume. I mean, I went into the whole presentation, had like a, you know, like it, almost like you're going in for a job interview. I had a whole packet of like why you should lend to me and why this property is good. And they all loved that, but what they couldn't get past is the fact that I had never owned a 50 unit or multifamily. Sure. And, you know, thankfully I was able to, um, through networking, I was able to get with a lender who kept the loan on their own books. And so they were, they, they basically lent off the pro forma I put together and not off of what the property was doing, but all they would do was the loan for the property. So I had no money to do the rehab. And so, like I said, I ended up having to go out and raise that, um, it ended up working out. We refied after 14 months and pulled out a million dollars in equity. So, I mean, it was a, it was like a, that's awesome. Yeah, My I mean, gosh, a, on a 50 unit too. I mean, yeah, it was a home run deal. I mean, but it was, yeah. like said, it was, it was, it was, it's funny. Cause I look back now and I'm like, man, like that really could have gone bad at any point in time, you know, but again, like I said, a lot of lessons learned. I mean, you know, a lot of stuff I pass on to other people, thankfully it didn't. And it really allowed me to then, just keep rolling forward and keep moving that money forward. And then, it, like I said, now I have a kind of like a proof of concept um, and it, it's just kind of grown from there. So. I love it. I love hearing that story going from zero to one is this huge turning point. There's a lot of wannabes and there's very few, uh, even though I talk to somebody every single week on this podcast who's yeah. done it, but that's, you know, that's nationwide. Very few that have actually gone through and done it. It's super scary. There's a huge learning curve. You're dealing with capital, maybe other people's capital, because you rate you syndicated that 50 unit, right? So that that's part of the again the, the so we JV'd the deal because it was okay. between me and one investor who was he 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 participated more in the construction side and not necessarily on the the like overall business plan like running it. Um, right. But then I I basically did promissory notes to outside people that lent the money to me. And that was all based off of my reputation cool. and my uh, previous relationship with them that they trusted me enough to get their money back. Awesome. Was that debt or equity? Just debt. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Nice, yeah. nice way to structure it for your first deal. I mean, <laughs> that's uh, not yeah, too shabby out. there. Yep. It worked out. So and good for them it. too, right? I'm sure they're happy that you did what you yeah. said. Yeah, um, they were great. I mean, I think I gave them a 10% uh, yeah. interest rate, which was, you know, the time was, was great for them and they were all sure. happy with it. And they, and I got them their money back uh, sooner than I originally had told them by a few months. So they were all happy. And, you know, and, and, and since then uh, three out of the four have been repeat investors. Right. You know, so I mean, it. it's been great. 
Yeah. So you're, you're building that investor database and, and uh, that, that trust. Uh, that's a cool story. I love it. I love how you structured the, the capital, got the loan. What did you refinance into uh, Freddie SBL or? No, no. Again, I, you know, the, at the time, so I, I, refi- I had held it for a while and then I went with a local bank that was able to, I went from a five and a half percent interest rate, which at the time was pretty much industry standard sure, uh, to 3.19% with like a Beautiful. kind of a, they're not a local bank. They're a bigger bank. I, I mean, they're probably like in Ohio, Pennsylvania, maybe mm-hmm. Illinois or Indiana, you know, um, but they were, I went through a loan broker and uh, he didn't even offer me to do Fannie or Freddie. And, and really at the time, I didn't have the, probably the net worth and liquidity that they would have wanted to see. Yeah, right. That's fair. property like that. I do now and we do we do, do uh, institutional debt. But then I was kind of like, I'll just take what I can get. And when they came back and said, hey, we'll, we'll give you, you know, here's, we'll, we'll do the appraisal, but here's your interest rate. And it, you know, we the, the sweetest part about it was we, um, and I maybe never recreate this, but you know, we, we pulled out a million dollars and our payment only went up 50 bucks a month. Oh my gosh. I freaking because, love yeah, because it, the man. interest rate change. It was phenomenal. So yeah. Yeah. You we, cut out a huge, we just did, we, we just refied a giant property and took the rate down like two points. I mean, it's just yeah. crazy what that does to your, uh, to your interest payment. Um, love it, man. That's, that's fantastic. That is fantastic. Um, well, congratulations on that. Getting over that first one is can be really difficult, especially on a distressed deal, smaller deal where you've got uh, got to bottom it out, so to speak, and yep. get those high vacancy numbers and have some. I remember feeling when I started this business doing the multifamily many years ago that you're kind of just taking the plane like nosedive to the ground, and you got a plan to pull the plane up, but it is yeah. it's not it's not fun doing the nosedive with occupancy. No, it is not. Um, but you got through it, refied. Uh, you guys still have that one in the portfolio? Yep, yep. Awesome. I still have that one. That one's. Love I mean, it. honestly, we we net probably twenty five thousand dollars a month on that. And Beautiful. you know, like I said, the previous owner he was he was grossing about nineteen, eighteen, nineteen thousand a month. So we probably gross over th- probably around thirty thousand, depending every month on that. And I mean, right. it's just me and another guy that are in it. So I love it. I mean, look, running apartments is hard, and uh, it's easy to mess up. And there's a lot of people out there that are messing it up and that creates opportunity. If you want to go in there and, and have a, a, a good team, you can do it right. You can kind of work miracles on these things. I love it. Yeah. So what does the company look like now and today? And what is, what does you guys focus on what you're uh, what you're working on today? Yeah. So we, so through all that, I realized that I, you know, in order to scale, I couldn't be a one-man show. Yes. So I met, an, I met another fireman. Uh, he works here in the Columbus area as well. Um, and he had been in commercial space for quite a while. So we decided to partner up. Uh, we created the stream group and, um, you know, we just, we basically buy multifamily. A lot of our stuff is within an hour of Columbus, our local stuff. Um, we've got, but we've got some, we got about 400 units in Mansfield, Ohio. I've got um, over hundred units in Zanesville, Ohio. So tertiary markets. Yep. Um, we've got some in Columbus, but you know, that's such a competitive uh, market right now with out of state and overseas buyers and equity funds and, you know, we've really just, we're still buying for cash flow, and we're doing well on the, the outside markets that maybe a lot of people aren't going to. And, you know, I just had a conversation with the lender about this today, you know, some of these, these areas that we go to, or have gone to locally, on a macro level, they don't necessarily make sense to somebody from Texas or somebody from out of state, but because we're local, and we, you know, I can go and sit with the mayor, or the city council, and really kind of get an understanding of what they're doing, and where they, they their vision is for the city. And then we just try to swim alongside them and we start, we'll buy stuff that's in their path of progress. Uh, you know, 
that's been really helpful for us. Um, I work with a uh, company called Greenlight Equity out of Salt Lake City, Tate Seamer. He's got a podcast, we know Tate. Um, we did a couple deals with him. Uh, they were trying to get into the Columbus market and we were local operators already here. So we, we uh, were able to work out, we do a couple deals with them partnering. Uh, and then uh, one of the guys from Salt Lake that we met through Tate, um, he's kind of become our KP uh, of our company. If we want to go into something that's much bigger than what Tim and I can do on our own, you know, we're going to, if we look at something that's like 30, 40, 50 million, uh, we use Tim. Uh, I mean, he's involved in all of our deals at some level, but like I said, sure. we're looking at doing some new, some ground up construction. Well, he has a ton of construction experience. And so we would leverage that. Um, you know, if we get into something where it's larger than what we can, Tim and Tim Shaw and I can sign on on our own, then we might bring in um, uh, Tim to to work on the debt side with us, or you know, raise capital or whatever that looks like. But you know, so he's he's involved in kind of like a deal by deal basis, but we're good friends, and um, you know, so like I said, in the since I did that first one, we've got six hundred doors local, and then we have some equity positions and different stuff all over the country. Uh, which we found, like I said, as we've grown, you know, we've met people and maybe they're, maybe they're, um, maybe their issues, they can't get the loan done. So we'll right. sign on the debt. You know, if we trust the operators, we know the building, we might come down there and check it out. You know, we'll, we'd sign on the debt with them or, you know, vice versa. We just did a deal here recently where we brought in three or four investors uh, that wanted to be mentored. And we were like, look, instead of paying me three or $4,000 to mentor you for a year and then give you a certificate at the end that in real life doesn't mean anything. If you take it no. to a lender, they don't care. What yeah. if, you know, what's your resume look like or what's your experience level? We said, well, why don't you throw in some money with us on a deal? We'll do a 506B. You can invest with us. We, you know, we already know you. Um, and, but then we can walk you through finding the deal, structuring the deal. You can see a PPM, you can be an investor. You know, you can learn from what we're doing, kind of like that cockpit view of things. Yes. And then yeah. in the end of it, in the end, you, you know, you're, you're an LP in a, in a good deal, cash flows, your money's making money. And now you've got a little bit of a resume and you want to keep doing stuff with us. Great. If not, you have the resume to go off and do your own thing. And, and um, you know, that we just did that. We just closed on that deal, the end of uh, 2021. So, I mean, you know, it wasn't a, it was 24 unit, nothing major, but it was something that it was a good fit for them. We were going to buy it ourselves. And we thought, why not use this opportunity to help some other folks out where they can kind of get their feet wet. Uh, and it's not super risky. I love it. Yeah. I, I make the analogy of being a link in a chain a lot of the time. And so there's so many people that are further down the path than I am that have helped me along that maybe let me in on their deals early on to learn. And that is priceless. I don't think you get into multifamily in one big go. You kind of take sequential steps of mm -hmm. increasing responsibility. And so now, you know, the link, I'm the link, I'm one link in the chain and behind me, I've got other people that I'm kind of pulling up through the business, even, and a lot of them have been just like limited partners in our deals that have, man, we've been investing with you for a few years. I think I want to like take a stab at this. Okay, well, come on, let's, you know, let's take yeah. the next step of responsibility. And what I love too, you mentioned about your, your KP, your key principle, um, you know, in this business, I often say any deficiency that you have, you plug in a vendor or a partner and that's how these deals get done. You know, I mean, yep. you don't, you don't have to have $40 million net worth out of the gate to go do a big deal. You just hustle and network and create the team and start building your own track record that you can grow, which is really encouraging. I mean, you're, you're a firefighter and you're able to have this company now that's taken down these, these deals. That's uh, that's extremely liberating, right? That yeah. concept. 
Well, and we've, and we've also vertically integrated over, you know, we, we realized that we started to scale that, you know, we, we, we bought a property that was 180 units, had staff on site. Um, we, Tim and I locally here realized we're like, man, these, the, the property was ran well. It was just ran by a local group that owned a ton of campus housing by Ohio State. And right. so this was like the only apartment complex they had and they had done well with it. Um, but it was still like, if you really, if you got a, somebody that was in there that solely focused on multifamily operating, there was still enough meat on the bone to make the deal really worth it. And, but we kept the staff, which most of the other stuff that I buy, there's either no staff or we let them go. Sure. After we kind of like learn the property a little bit, uh, yep. because a lot of times they're part of the problem or like, you know, you start implementing systems and processes into the management piece and they don't want to do that. And they so don't want to have it. Yeah. And so then they just got to go. Um, but we, we took that as an opportunity. I mean, it's been a tremendous amount of work, but, you know, we've now built a company that's managing 380 doors, which is not a small amount. I mean, there's a lot no. of property managers that I know that don't manage that many. Um, it's all our own stuff and we add to it, you know, we're, we keep adding to it. It seems like every, every month we're buying more stuff or, or closing on deals that, you know, that, you know, we bought in that area. Um, you know, so that just integrating that side of things and then the construction side, you know, we've hired enough. It's the scaling is giving us enough uh, bandwidth where we can afford to hire guys that they simply just do our turns now. And, Love it. you know, and then again, it's, you know, I've got guys in, in Zanesville that work for me directly that they just, again, they know what I do. I don't even have to go down there. They know when a unit comes open, here's what we do. Here's the material. Here's where it's at. Here's and they just go to town and they, and they're very fast at it now. And we have that now in Mansfield as well. Um, you know, and, and so we're, we're looking to venture out, you know, we might do some stuff more, like bigger stuff, have a bigger chunk of stuff or bigger, um, actually like kind of control a deal out of state right now. But I've always kind of been the believer of, you know, uh, if, if I'm finding good deal flow in my own backyard, I'd rather go super deep in that market versus, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't live, I live in an area where I can do that. There's people that live, like if you live in New York city or you live in LA or you live, you know, a certain, you know, if you're just starting out and you live in like really anywhere in Texas, right. Houston's huge, huge market, Austin, yep. you're up against a bunch of ton of experienced people and equity groups. You may have to go to another market to buy something that makes sense. So I have not had to do that yet. Really. I mean, we, like I said, we've done deals with people that we know that kind of help them out, but I haven't been forced to go buy something out of state just because we can't find a good deal flow in our own area. So, um, which, which I, I'm, I subscribe to the same thing. I mean, we're in San Antonio and that's been my philosophy for years is, well, if we can find the next deal in our backyard, why wouldn't we do that? You know, if we yeah. go a year and don't find a deal, maybe it's time to explore other markets. It just hasn't happened. And I, you know, I love, I don't necessarily sit down with the mayor here and have the, the kind of, you know, quite that level, but there is a huge local advantage um, when it comes to everything else, just knowing the area, the tenant base, the contractors, the vendors, I think there's a comfort level for your investors. If they're not yeah. in the same market that you're there in the backyard and you can be at these properties in a relatively short short period of time. And you said it, if the deal flows there, why not, why not keep uh, that, especially now that you're vertically integrated? I mean, huge, all kind of advantages to, to, to setting that up. What, what about um, for those that are not in Ohio or haven't invested there, you know, passively or as an operator, 
give us the the thirty thousand foot view. You know, I'm I'm so focused on our deals. I don't really look around nationally. Mm-hmm. I'll invest nationally with other operators occasionally if I got a relationship there. But what's the what's the high level on on Ohio? Uh, you know, these days in 2022. Oh well, I mean, I you know, I think that really there's a there's a there's quite a few good markets in the Midwest, right? The cost per door is still relatively low. Um, you know, I think that. Which is what, what kind of range just for, for reference here? Uh, I mean, like, so if you're in the metro area and you're in Columbus, you're probably going to be at 70 a door, uh, yeah. which I mean, is a lot to me being local when I know that that was sold for five years ago, you know, for 45 a door or whatnot, yeah. you know, if you're in class, you know, if you're in a class, you're well over a hundred thousand. It just depends sure. on where you're at, you know, Sure. Um, but you can get to some of these outer lying areas that, like that we're buying in, uh, you know, I just bought, we bought a 24 unit for a million bucks. Um, you know, we, we've, we bought a 40 unit, uh, we paid 32,000 a door and needed some work, but I mean, it's still nothing crazy. Um, I think the, we've been buying these off market or they've been pocket listings with brokers that we've known, but I mean, we're, you know, we're, we're seeing consistently like the low forties. Uh, the nice thing with doing, um, uh, the pocket listings for us is the market is trading in some of these tertiary areas at like 50, 55,000, 60,000 a door. And as Columbus gets hotter, all these other areas start to kind of get, you know, get uh, more expensive or the price per door if they took it to market. But a lot of these sellers that are mom and pop that we deal with, they don't want to, they don't want to go through the headache of that, you know, or they think that they're, you know, it's kind of like if you're going to do your house, you sell your house for sale by owner, you feel like you're saving money by not paying a realtor. But what they don't know is if they took it to market, it might be a little bit more stressful for them, but they might get 10 to $15,000 more per door. That's right. Than they would if they just sold to us. But yep. the caveat to that is, their basis is so low in some of these properties. If they bought it in 20, like the one we just did, the guy bought it in 1986. Well, he oh probably paid $10,000, $12,000, $15,000 a door. Yeah. And he's selling it to me for $30,000 a door, $35,000. You know, he's doing phenomenal. Yep. Uh, and I'm I'm still doing good as far as the market goes. But, um, you know, Ohio specifically has got, I mean, it's just there's just a ton of people moving here. Columbus is a huge draw for tech. Uh, Facebook's here, the data centers, Amazon's got a, a huge footprint now. Uh, there's, there's the last time the stuff that I read was there's 50 to 60,000 um, homes or apartments that are, were short here annually. And that only got worse with COVID and the lack of building material and, you know, everything. Uh, Cleveland has taken off. I know the guys, uh, some of the guys that, that bought the Rockefeller building up there, you know, the Sherwin Williams is building a huge uh, plant there. Um, yep. you know, there's just a, stuff that I know guys. It wasn't been, Kenny Wolf, was it? Yeah. Yeah. I, Kenny thought, was in that one. I thought Kenny told me about the Rockefeller building. That's a yeah. pretty cool, uh, that's a pretty cool grab there. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And they're, and they're turning it from, uh, uh, regular, um, business to apartments. So that'll be, I think they're going to, they're going to keep it. Um, I don't know if they're doing restaurant or what they're doing on the bottom, the first, you know, the ground level or maybe the first couple levels, but then they're doing multifamily up above. So it's going to be interesting to watch that one play out, but you know, there's just a lot of growth. I think it's, it's, there's a lot of stuff coming back to Ohio, uh, to these areas. I, I would say that Columbus is by far the number one market and then Cleveland and then Cincinnati as far as big ones go. Um, but you know, what we've seen is even through COVID, you know, I never missed a beat with any of my rents. I wasn't behind on anything. Sure. You know, it, it wasn't as big and scary as it maybe was for other people, but the, you know, because these, these Metro areas are doing so well, uh, it's pushing people out into these smaller areas because, you know, you know, they're working from home now uh, or they're, they're not going to the office as much. And so we've, we've seen a lot of people move to some of the smaller secondary tertiary markets uh, and now that they can work from home. 
so they don't have to travel, you know, and like Mansfield, for instance, you know, on a macro level, again, it might not look like a great market, but if you really, if you really get in and you understand why, uh, you know, if you went to city data and you're like, I want to look at what's this guy talk about Mansfield and you look on it and it shows you a negative population growth. Well, the reason it shows a negative population growth is there was two specific companies that left 10 or 15 years ago that drove, that made it look like there was a, there's a negative population, but in fact, it's actually been growing. There's, right. there's, you know, there's other jobs that are coming there. I know the city just from speaking with them has millions and millions of dollars that they're going to be putting into the downtown area to draw more people in. They're doing all kinds of things to kind of become a small hub, you know, and, and if you're in Mansfield, for instance, you're an hour from Cleveland, you're an hour from Columbus, you're right on 71, you're close to Akron. There's all kinds of different things that are, you know, that you're close to that it's, you know, it's kind of centrally located. Um, I don't know. Like I said, it's worked out for us. It's probably not for everybody, but you know, we're buying safe cash flowing properties that are some require more work than others, but you know, we have a great team in place. And I think that really helps us out. Yeah. Cash flowing multifamily. I mean, you know, just, just if that's your starting point and you're building good things on top of it, good team and good, good operators, local, uh, those are all, you know, those are all wins right there. Um, before we wrap up, Seth, I want to I want to get your thoughts on what you would share with someone that is in your position maybe a few years ago, considering getting into real estate but hadn't really pulled the trigger yet. What what do you what do you tell that person? Um, you know, I I would be, I think one would be to not be afraid to partner with somebody. You know, a lot of people you'll you'll say are like, oh, partnerships are terrible, or don't JV, or I keep it all to myself, and and. Sure. You know, I feel bad for them that they had a bad experience, but I wouldn't have had the growth that I've had had I not um, picked the right people. And, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you got to give away the farm, but, you know, you you have to be in the right um, the right uh, room with the right people. That's a, that's kind of a big a big thing. And then the other part that I would uh, probably tell them is to just, you know, to not be so analytical that you're you, you paralyze yourself. You know, you can't get, you can't, you overthink things and you overlook, you know, sometimes like I feel like people just are, I can't think of the the terminology for it right now, but analysis paralysis, you know what yes. I mean? Because the reality of it is you could spend a year on a spreadsheet and make it look exact, I mean, perfect. And then you introduce the tenants and they don't care about your spreadsheet. You know what I mean? So you just have to know going into it that it's never going to be exactly how you thought it would be. Um, you know, and as long as you're conservative and you're not, you, know, you can be too conservative as well, you know, but as long as you're, you know, you're doing those things, but, and not be afraid. I think the last thing I would tell myself is not be afraid to maybe invest in a mentor, invest in somebody that's doing it, you know, cause it's really hard for, for me or for you to just give away time to somebody that wants to get in. Uh, but they don't really know, like, you know, like, again, like you, you kind of talked about earlier is if you have a, a business that's running, it's really hard for me to sit down with somebody that has no experience and be like, well, here's how you could help me. Right. We have a whole staff. We have a whole team. Like we've kind of got our stuff figured out. But, you know, but if you, you know, sometimes you, you, you have to invest in yourself and just pay somebody for their time. And and um, I know that the times that I've done that, I've accelerated my growth tremendously. I love it. All good points. And you're, you're not guessing here. That's the voice of experience there, folks. So, Seth, thank you for jumping on. Um, if somebody listening wants to connect with you learn more about what you guys are doing in Ohio, how can they do that? Uh, they can go on our website. It's uh, www.thestreamgroups.com. Uh, groups is plural on that. And then they can look me up on Facebook. They can look me up on LinkedIn, Instagram, 
And then we have a private Facebook group called um, Fire or Fireproof Your Finances with Multifamily. Um, our kind of brand with that is Firehouse Bros. Since Tim and I are both firemen, you know, we treat all of our investors as just like we would at the fire station where we're all family and, you know, we operate with integrity. We are always looking out for, you know, for them and, and above all else. And so it, it's something we take pride in. And so that's kind of like our, our private group that we have. We share a lot of content in and a lot of just information, stuff we've learned. And, you know, especially if you're new to the multifamily, it's a, it's a great place to go where you can learn uh, without any risk. I love it. That's a great resource. Well, we will link to the website in the show notes. If you're listening, you can just click through to that and connect with Seth and the team. Um, Seth, thank you so much for jumping on it. I've really enjoyed it. I'm so happy for you having made that transition. I think you guys, you know, now that you're in it and able to kind of rinse and repeat and build this machine, let's, uh, let's do it again in two years and, and see where everything's at. I'd love to check back in. Yeah. yeah sounds great. I appreciate it. All righty. Take care. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the DJE podcast. For more information, please go to djetexas.com.